I'm John Gardiner, and you're listening to the Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading. Model railroading is fun, you just have to know how to do it. In this episode, I'll be, once again, giving you the Beginner's Bible. Before I actually get any farther into telling you guys how to build a model railroad, I want to have a full episode on common beginner pitfalls to put you all in the right mindset before you get rolling. I must emphasize that these are all lessons that I learned myself the hard way. So here are some corrections to common beginner misconceptions. Henceforth, I shall call it the Beginner's Bible. If you guys are more experienced listeners, or if you have some pitfalls of your own, please consider emailing us at bgtmrring, and I shall release an addendum episode. General beginner advice. First off, don't make your first layout too big. The 4x8 sheet of plywood, while generally reviled by uh, more experienced modelers, is usually a good start. Plan for expansion to compensate an initial small size, but generally don't ever build anything more than 40 square feet at any given time, especially if you are new to the hobby. If you do have a dream layout in mind, see instead how you can chop it up into independent parts, then build one at a time. Like, for example, that's what I'm doing right now with my current Kennebec Central Model Railroad. As I previously mentioned, it is a fairly small uh, 9 foot by 18 inch shelf, and then I have a staging yard on one end. And I am going to be adding to this railroad module by module, moving the staging yard back further and further until I have a complete model railroad. As alluded to in our last episode, DCC is worth the cost. You can use DC for smaller, simpler, standalone projects, but when it comes to constructing a large or especially dream layout, the benefits of DCC cannot be overstated. Build for operation even if you don't think you will. 
nearly every single modeler, even collectors, eventually revert to operations, because running trains in circles will always become boring after about 40 minutes. Building for operations is simple and will not affect your other goals, I promise. It only requires a little bit more planning up front and sufficient knowledge of what you should add. Join a club. They'll usually answer your questions and invite you to layouts. If there are no clubs nearby, then join an online forum. That's how I learned a lot of my knowledge, anyway. Get your track and trains running up as soon as you possibly can, and keep trains running regularly. This will remind you why you're building a model railroad, and if you have a particular project that is notably irksome, you can always just sit back and run trains and, and put the project aside. Get a subscription to learn things, like to Model Railroader Magazine, Model Railroader Video Plus, a Model Railroad Hobbyist, Railroad Model Craftsman. There are a bunch of different services out there where you can learn about the hobby. But the important thing is, keep learning. And keep subscribed to this podcast. Hopefully I'll teach you something too. Before you start designing or especially building your own Model Railroad, buy some track planning books and figure out what makes good plans good. Also, before you start construction, make your room comfortable. The more comfortable it is, the more likely you're going to want to go there. Another thing that I've found, and this is probably something that is more personal than any of the other advice I'll be giving out, is that I try to always have my layouts proximate to wherever I am staying. This was especially important when I was younger and lived in a large house with the rest of my family, because when I found that my layouts were very far away from me on the other end of an already large house, um, there, there was this mental block put up between me and the trains. But if it's closer to you, then it's if nothing else, harder to ignore, and therefore a lot easier to work on. Benchwork. Benchwork is the foundation of everything. Build it well. Do not build any benchwork without a plan clearly labeled with measurements, angles, and wood dimensions accurate down to one quarter of an inch. Also, don't forget vertical heights, like, for example, the height of windowsills or of uh, electrical boxes, as those can also impede on your layout construction. Making an accurate plan of benchwork is very useful because if you plan it right, you can get all of your wood cut very quickly at the lumberyard and basically throw it together rapidly in a weekend or so at home. Whereas if you don't have an accurate plan and you have to cut things board by board, it's probably going to take you a lot longer to assemble. When it comes to actually constructing things, uh, you don't need to have absurdly large pieces of wood. One by threes are generally sufficient for most bench work, and you needn't ever go larger than two by fours. When you're building your bench work, if you don't have one already, make sure to build a workbench. Because one of the most important things that you will need later when it comes to modeling is a dedicated modeling space, where you can leave kits in the middle of construction without needing to put them away or, or, or make them safe for everybody else to be around. Um, also, if nothing else, it will probably make your partner uh, less aggravated if you stop leaving modeling supplies all over the dining room table. And then finally, as best you can, build all of your benchwork to be disassembled in modules, even if the layout is meant to be permanent. Like it or not, 
There will always be a time when your layout will have to be disassembled, whether or not you move, you decide to start a new project, or, or simply if you just need to get rid of it entirely. And uh, something that many modelers will often forget is that uh, when you bring lumber into a room and then you assemble it into a larger structure, um, quite embarrassingly frequently for a lot of us, you, you probably won't be able to fit the lumber out of the room again. So uh, if you want, you can create a cardboard cutout of various sizes of modules and then try finagling them out of the layout room, through your house, and then out the front door to wherever you would be loading it for transport. And then try and build all of your benchwork in disassemblable modules of those size. These don't have to be standardized modules, they can always fit the space, and they don't need to be made to be taken apart regularly, um, but this will, I promise you, save you a lot of headaches later on. Track work. Track work is just as important as bench work. Avoid all track kinks, both vertical and lateral, like the plague. Take it from me. Don't try to squeeze in that extra track whenever you can. It's a lot nicer to have a much more flowing track arrangement that uh, may not be as expansive, but that trains will run over reliably. Trust me on this one. Invest in ribbon rail track gauges for at least your minimum radius. If you can, make a radius guide out of cardboard or poster board for every one inch increment radius from two below your lowest track radius to 12 above your largest anticipated. This will give you a very easy way to ensure flowing track work so that there aren't any odd jiggles anywhere. Grades. Don't go above 35 to a 4% grade. I promise you, track height isn't overwhelmingly necessary in most situations. You can usually do a better job of portraying a greater change in elevation by changing the scenery around that particular track. Using plywood subroadbed with reinforced joints is an excellent way to add vertical curves to avoid kinks. Because, of course, you can't bend plywood in kinks without, you know, like, snapping it. If you are not using this type of subroadbed, be very careful. Make sure that any and all vertical curves, so like a curve going from a flat to a, a hill, are at least as long as the longest type of car you will be using, if not longer. Never place a turnout at the top or bottom of a grade unless the grade transitioning is very smooth, because turnouts are already the place where trains are most likely to derail, and then second behind that changes in grades, so you, you just don't want to be combining them. Yards and staging. Staging is like the wings of a theater, and the model is the stage. Unless your prototype did otherwise, have a staging connection to the outside world to show how your model railroad is connected to the national network. Most railroads throughout history have been connected to the national network, as this allows the long-distance transport of freight. If you can, put a yard on your layout, however small. Um, because even if you don't plan on conducting freight yard operations, um, from my own personal experience, 
you will always need to be rearranging cars for modeling reasons, like simply to rearrange the types of trains that you have. If the only space that you have to do that is mainline, well, th that's honestly just going to be difficult as it is, and so it's better to have a designated place to rearrange things. Also, put extra tracks and staging for car storage. Like, for example, everybody has a, a set of cars that are not prototypical in the slightest, like excursion cars or a circus train. And if you do run it frequently enough, it's going to be time-consuming to, to keep taking it out of and putting it back into a box. And so if you just have one or two hidden tracks set aside to store these cars, you'll get to run them more often with less effort and also uh, with less likelihood for damage. Structures. Weather your structures and do not be afraid to start. Weathering powders are usually a very good entry, as they can be very simply brushed onto a structure and then affixed with something as simple as hairspray. Take it from me, always, if you can, have a bottle of diluted India ink for weathering purposes. Diluted paint does not serve as an adequate wash, whereas any type of structure, be it plastic, especially if it's wood, can always benefit from a light dousing with India ink. Have a layout scrapbook. Photocopy every magazine or book article that contains information or a project that you want to do later, and then put these copies into a three-ring binder with document holders to organize them by type of project. The scrapbook serves three purposes. First, as an organized list of tasks that I need to accomplish. Second, a source of information for how to complete those tasks. And third, a source of inspiration if I'm just looking for an odd project to do. I personally have an um, embarrassingly large collection of articles for this purpose in uh, three binders. So... Yeah, that's me. But you guys can do it too in a uh, abbreviated, shall we say, manner. This is also an excellent place to store track plans and noteworthy models and prototype scenes, and it also serves as a repository for all of the prototype information that I have. Like, for example, scans of historic documents from museums that would probably be mad at me if I took those historic documents home. After the tasks are completed, the photocopies are removed from the scrapbook and make way for new photocopies. I also try to heavily mark up the copies to explicitly tell my future self what I wanted to do with the information and how I wanted to integrate it into the layout. This usually takes the form of a, a red pen just underlining all of the important information or circling the important sections. Miscellaneous. Whenever a piece of equipment derails, especially regularly, use your NMRA gauge and coupler height gauge to assess bad ordered cars. If the cars pass, then you should go and scrutinize the track. If you are confined by space, three-way and curved turnouts, while slightly more expensive, can allow you to fit a lot more into any given location. If you can, build a continuous running connection or a loop-to-loop -loop design, even if you have no intention of running trains in circles. I promise you that someday you will use it. Overly large rails, especially in modern contexts, look obnoxious and out of place. Code 100 should be used very sparsely and only on heavy-duty mainlines. Code 83 is useful for most applications, and Code 70 is the ideal choice for small short lines and branch lines. 
basically always be wary of using code 100 track, at least in HO scale, I should say. For N scale, it's code 55 that I think people are moving towards. Whenever you finish running trains on your layout, make up an excursion train and put it in a yard or in front of a main station or on a spare track and staging, like we discussed earlier. This expedites the process of showing off your layout to visitors, because, let's be honest, as much as you and I like trains, most of the people who are going to come down into your layout room whenever you're going to show it off will only be there for a limited amount of time. And if you have a train ready to go more quickly, then you can also catch their interest more quickly and perhaps persuade them into staying for longer. One final note. This episode may have made the hobby out to be a bit daunting, but there is a two-page article from the March 1963 issue of Model Railroad Magazine that I believe is pertinent here. The Gory and Defeated was a massive and beautiful model railroad built from 1946 to 1973 by John Whitby Allen, the so-called Wizard of Monterey. It is generally regarded to be the single best and most beautiful model railroad in all of history. The majority of the two pages in the 1963 article are of a massive black-and-white panorama of the Gorian defeated, and it is quite daunting in its beauty and realism, even though it's black-and-white. If you want to join in, pause the podcast and search up an image of a model railroad that is sufficiently intimidating, but still inspiring to you, and then play again. The article reads as follows. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a pike so well detailed that you could hardly tell a photo of it from a photo of real-life railroading? Flick a switch and pull a throttle and the consolidation's drivers barely turn at first. Then they gain momentum and the train is away, sneaking through the switchwork, climbing the hill above a rock-retaining wall, finally reaching the high land behind the city. The train then slows to wait its turn while a string of ore cars pulls through a single-track truss span up ahead. All of this could be your pike. Lacking larger space, this scene could be fitted without too much modification, even into one side of a 4x8 table railroad. The work to build it could be done in a matter of months, with a little more patience needed than most of us have already acquired. It would be a shame to rush the work and make it a monster by so doing. But if you get a little of the track in running order, then add a little here and there, just as it pleases you. You'll soon have it made. All great model railroads are built a bit at a time. This could be your pike. I hope you've enjoyed this rendition of the Beginner's Bible. This is likely incomplete, so if you have any additions, suggestions, questions, or more importantly, funny stories, please email me at bgtmrring at gmail.com, and I'll put together a listener feedback episode or for another installment of The Beginner's Bible. If you have a question or comment, please email me at bgtmring at gmail.com, or visit our new website at bgtmring.org. If you like the show, please give us a good review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast feed. If you did not like the show, do not say anything and contemplate the thought crime that you have committed. And now, as your reward for listening through my closing spiel, your modeler's vocabulary word for this episode is... Highball, verb, to run a train at speed, or clear all signals ahead. 
Derived from an antiquated northeast signal type, which was a ball on a vertical rope, the high ball being the go signal. Thank you for listening, and happy modeling. production update time. I just wanted to take a few moments to thank the team of Puzzle in a Thunderstorm uh, because this podcast was recently featured on uh, the Scathing Atheist podcast as the Farnsworth quote. For those of you who don't know, um, the uh, Scathing Atheist opens every week with a quote from a different group of individuals uh, and they say they, they can promote whatever they want and then they say, and I'm here to tell you that we all evolved from filthy monkey men. And part of the funny thing was, I was listening to one of their podcasts one day, um, and as it turned out, um, Puzzle in the Thunderstorm produces almost four podcasts every week, and no illusions, the host was saying in his outro to this particular episode uh, that you only needed to wait like uh, 36 hours tops for a new Puzzle in the Thunderstorm episode to drop each week, and if you couldn't wait that long, you needed to find another hobby. (laughs) Well, I jumped on the opportunity that was so carefully laid out for me. When the episode was less than a few hours old, I had uh, made my Farnsworth quote, and I recorded it, and I sent it in, uh, and... (laughs) Well, it took a few weeks, uh, so it wasn't as immediate, but um, here's here's what I said. I I hope it was amusing. Well, um, actually, no, I, I, I don't need to tell you what I did. I can actually copy and paste the audio file because I'm not a dumb person and I have access to a computer. So this is what I said. I'm John Gardiner, and last week, No Illusions said that if you couldn't wait between all of the Puzzle and a Thunderstorm shows, you should find a new hobby. Thus, I would like to humbly recommend to you all that you check out my new podcast, The Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading. Anyway, I'm here to tell you that filthy monkey men did evolve to invent a steam locomotive. Or something like that. I'm not too sure. I didn't check up on this before recording. Anyway, on with the show! (laughs) <laughs> that was fun. Um, I I did not know that my Farnsworth quote had been selected for airing, and so I was just merrily pipetting along scientifically one day, and I saw that the latest episode of The Scathing Atheist was out, and so I started listening to it, and oh my goodness, it was my voice that was there. So that was very fun. So, anyway, I just wanted to thank uh, everybody at Puzzle in the Thunderstorm uh, for featuring me on their podcast, in part because in the first uh, 18 hours after the episode dropped, the number of subscribers to this podcast doubled. Which, for me, puny little podcaster down here on this end of the spectrum, and then uh, international podcast that does touring live shows on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, oh, well, thank you very, very much. It's really nice. Um, So thank you again for choosing my Farnsworth quote. If you came here as a result of The Scathing Atheist, I want to say thank you very much for choosing to listen to The Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading. Hopefully, I won't make this out to be a terrible waste of time, money, and effort. Um, I find it very fun and uh, enjoyable and enlightening. 
and I hope you all will too. Thank you.